Amazon Books, your weekly program about great reads through book talks, trailers, and first chapters. Presented by Mrs. Winningham and Mrs. Kovach. Hi, it's Mrs. Kovach. Today I'll be reading to you from the book Devilish by Maureen Johnson. The back of the book says, Jane Jarvis and Allison Concord, seniors at St. Teresa's Preparatory School for Girls, have always been too quirky to be popular, but at least they've always had each other, right? Not so much. After a hideously embarrassing disaster, Allison comes to school transformed. Suddenly, she has cute hair and clothes, speaks fluent Latin, and won't even look at Jane. With the help of a strangely wise freshman boy, Jane discovers the incredible truth. Allison has sold her soul to the devil. Now Jane will have to save Allison before the bizarrely exclusive poodle prom, a party of biblical proportions that just might blow apart the world as Jane knows it. Prologue. So this is how it ended. The revelers have deserted, leaving plates of Spanish almonds and sushi and cupcake wrappers. Now there would be no more grand ballrooms with Assyrian kings and pampered dogs and English pop stars and the A3. No more midnight rides to the skies of Providence. No more calculus too with brother Frank and no more stolen moments with 116 year old boys or staring at the golden brick mansion across the fields. It had come back to this mad room of antique perfume bottles and disagreements. Only a handful of people would understand the real meaning of this event. The general public would be horror struck. They would wonder how two best friends, two otherwise unassuming girls on the verge of adulthood could have ended up like this. There would be news specials and magazine articles. Teen tragedy stuns Providence, Rhode Island rampage. I would be cast as the brainy troublemaker, the angry little blonde punk. Allison would be portrayed as my sweet devoted friend, the one that I had tricked and misled and taken down this tragic path. The real villain would not appear in the stories at all. Oh, I had no doubt that they would blame the whole mess on me, probably because I had spiky hair and a tendency to talk too much. That was the story of my life, and that life was over. It doesn't matter how old you are when you die, I'd been told, and when you die, that's the right time for you. I'd also been told my life was a small price to pay. I was glad to pay it for Allison. My hand fell away from the phone. The room grew dark, and I felt myself slipping down to the side of the sofa, down to the prized oriental rug. This was my final move in the game, this graceful thud to the floor. There was only one question left in my mind. Had I played it right? Two weeks earlier. Chapter 1. The review from the junior judges had gone up on the website in the middle of the night. This is how they described me. Jarvis Jane, Classroom 2A. If you're trying to find Jane Jarvis, look down. Jane is the shortest person at St. Teresa, the littlest big, but that tiny body contains a huge brain. We must give this to her. Famously argumentative, we all remember fondly Jane's impromptu speech during last year's celebration of the spirited womanhood assembly where she openly debate, debated with the visiting bishops about the rights of women in the church. We like a little less of her brittle, bleach blonde spikes. A retro no-no in our book. If you are the angry, brainy type, consider Jane. She can be your personal Yoda. Nothing new there. I went right to Allison's. 
the first word struck me and it was all downhill from there. Concord Allison, classroom 1A, forehead first. Allison Concord has a showstopper. We had never seen anything quite like it. It's kind of like an unused billboard or a makeshift landing strip at a small Midwestern airport. Comparable only to her gums, which are slightly, truly a sight to behold. The pinkest smile you've ever seen. She's best known for counting down every second to junior prom and then showing up without a date and looking all boo-hoo tragic. If you haven't got anyone else for your big and no one else will take you on a second, well, we must, well, we will do what we must. When there is blood in the water, the sharks will rise to the surface. In Big Little Day, our yearly celebration of sisterhood was one of the bloodiest days of the year. Big Little Day was a major school benchmark where seniors would officially ask a freshman or new underclassman to be their little. Enterprising freshmen would actively campaign the most popular seniors, leaving notes and tokens and generally sucking up in a really gross manner. It was a massively big deal to have a good little. Any self-respecting senior, it was understood, had to have at least three freshmen courting them. A few luminaries might have eight or ten offers, and the selection was rapid. There were only one 45-minute period at the start of the day to get it all done, and by the end, we were expected to pull off class rings and pass them to our chosen freshmen who got to wear them for one day, making the whole thing like a creepy little marriage-like thing. The buildup to the event had been going on since school started. Clandestine meetings and bathrooms between classes, lunchtime congresses, a fury of note-taking and illegal texting. But the really serious part was the evaluation by the junior judges. A group of self-nominated juniors who offered commentary on seniors on the day itself. No one knew who the first junior judges were. The tradition has known to go back as far as the 1980s. Back then, they got their message out by using photocopied sheets that they stuck in all the freshman lockers. And every year since then, a group of juniors rose up and took on the task. Even though they were self-chosen, the junior judges were hardly anonymous. This year's group was a trio who called themselves the A3. The reason for this is so painfully pretentious that I can barely write it down. And if I really sit down and figure out how it was I even know this, something bad will happen to my head. So I just won't do that. I will simply explain that it comes from the size of paper in England called A3, which is a really long paper. One of them went to England and discovered this, and they all started joking about how they like really long paper, as if that actually means something. Combine that with the fact that A generally means the best, and the fact that there are three of them, Elsie Fast, Tracy Phils, and Leah Barden. It all comes into a really ready-made nickname. Awful things like that tend to converge. Know that you'll be ahead of the game. These were the people digging up the past that I had worked all summer long to bury and cover in concrete. I had gone so far to turn down a summer job helping to compile research data for my dad at his office at Brown, where he's a professor. It had taken a lot for me to get that job in the first place, including a two-hour interview in which I had to prove that I knew enough math to handle it, and I gave it up. Instead, I made my money at the same summer job that Allie and I had always worked, scooping ice cream in a 4 by 4 fluorescent cell at Didney's. But this is what you do when your best friend needs you, even if it means chucking away an opportunity that can help you score a scholarship to college. 
and the A3 may just have undone it all simply by being their snarky, haggish selves. My sister Joan was picking all the green and orange pieces out of her bowl of Fruit Loops when I came downstairs. Spread out in front of her were some books and papers. Joan never actually did her homework. I'm not sure Joan actually knew what she was supposed to do. I think she may be under the impression that she was just supposed to watch over it for the night and make sure nothing happened. Every morning she took it out and checked to make sure that every blank page was there, every problem was undone, and every answer was just as unwritten as she'd first taken it under her wing. What's a parallelogram? She asked, peering at her textbook through two loops she held over her eyes. My father was too busy poking at a Sudoku puzzle to answer. He couldn't leave the house until he did one of the hard ones in under two minutes. My mother never joined our breakfast group because she always was asleep. She worked late managing a very fancy and very good restaurant in the town called the Pink Peppercorn, providing us with the world's best leftovers, which is why I was having a bowl of cold sirloin tips for breakfast. It's a four-sided plane, I told her. The opposite sides are parallel. A four-sided plane, she repeated. Okay, I'm not falling for that one. Joan is two years younger than me. She didn't get into St. Teresa's Preparatory School for Girls. I'm completely used to looking up of her looking up at me with her lip glossy stare of hers and asking questions like, is the Tour de France in Spain? Or do you make cotton out of plastic? This is the girl who I had to convince that Alaska used to be called a Frigidaire. So sometimes I, she thought I lied to her. My father smiled and shook his head. It never bothered him that Jen was like that. While she didn't get my father's savage intelligence or my mother's common sense, she did get all the height, the muscle tone, and the strong and shiny brown hair. She was lovely and happy, even if she was as intelligent as a rubber band. Whereas I, as the junior judges had so rightly pointed out, was four foot ten, fifty-six inches, in school shoes with blonde hair, and I looked like an escaped street urchin from Oliver Twist. The hair was dry and brittle because I dried it with I dyed it with a home-brewed peroxide solution, which worked really well when I first started doing it as a freshman and couldn't stop doing it if I used anything else on my hair, and it turned kind of a moss green color. Joan set her Fruit Loops down and gazed at me evenly. You have a look on your face. Are you thinking about Elton? My dad glanced up from his puzzle. No. I gave a silencing look stiffening my jaw. She knew she wasn't supposed to mention my ex in front of my dad. He would still think I was upset. It had been six months, three weeks, and two days since our breakup, and I was over it. It's Allison, I told said. Today's big little day. I need to make sure she gets a little. This is the first big event since prom. It means a lot to her. I can't let anything bad happen. Allison will be fine, my dad chimed in. Why would you need to worry about her? This was one thing Joan completely understood. Allie needs to relax, Joan said. Someone definitely will take her as long as she doesn't get all, you know, spazzy. How do you keep someone from being spazzy, I asked, pushing aside some mushrooms that attach themselves to the steaky goodness. I know she's great, but she's going to be wound up all day. She's going to start breathing fast and getting dizzy and scare away the freshmen. You can't worry about something that hasn't happened yet, my father said, turning back to his Sudoku. You have to take life as it comes. This irritated me. When I worried about one thing, I frequently take it out on something or someone else. And the fact was my dad was offering stupid and totally untrue advice set me off. Oh no, I said, is it worrying about things that haven't happened yet? The purpose of several major government agencies like the army and FEMA. 
What about yearly checkups, savings accounts, tornado shelters, earthquake proofing, moisturizer, Joan added. You're a math professor, I said. What's the study of probability? Figuring out what's probably going to happen and then you dump all the probability information into huge tables that insurance companies use so they know who will probably crash their car, which places will probably get flooded, who might trip into the fireplace and set them on fire, probably? I don't think there's a category for that, Jane. You see my point, I said archly. Of course you know bad things do happen, and I know that Allison is probably going to spaz. She will start talking about her collection of Build-A-Bears or quoting entire episodes of Charmed. Well, I think she's cute. Most people will think she's insane, and they will run. I was getting a little frenzied now. Joan was nodding away like I was preaching, and she had been infected by the spirit, but my dad was still back a few steps. But she hasn't done any of that yet, he said. If you're going in with that attitude, there's almost no point. Probability isn't a guarantee. Give her some credit. You have to assume she'll do fine, but she won't. Well, then my dad said, quietly folding his completed puzzle in half. Sounds like she had no chance in the first place. So I guess he stood up and flicked a lost fruit loop over to Joan. You're just going to have to save her from herself. <laughs>